invite you to turn to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. One thing in 2011. One thing. So what's the one thing? I've heard it said the main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. You heard that before? Main thing, keeping the main thing the main thing. But what's the question? What's the main thing? What's the big idea? What's the target? What should we shoot for? What's the one thing in 2011? Because there's a lot of things that we can focus on and we do focus on. And there's a lot of static out there and the world is telling us a lot of stuff. So what's most important? You know, it's a natural time to evaluate and to look back and see how we did this last year to evaluate where we are and to, and to make some new goals, to set some new priorities. Sometimes those are called New Year's resolutions. Did any of you all make those? Oh, come on. Anybody? Yeah, a few of you did. I did. I made a few. Hopefully they're um, more than just, they'll last more than just a, a day or two as often resolutions go, but uh, hopefully they'll be uh, maintained longer than that. But we, we do that. This is the time of year we make resolutions because Something ain't working or something needs to work, so we go, okay, let's do something differently here. And that's why I like uh, this time of year. 2011, a new start, fresh year. Here we go. Well, um, Susan and I just celebrated 23 years of marriage, and we had a little getaway, and uh, it was a wonderful uh, time. We really enjoyed that a couple of weeks ago. And um, I have learned something in 23 years of marriage. Now, most of you have probably already figured this out, but uh, I have learned something that uh, is really of significance. And if you don't know this, then uh, this is worth you coming here this morning. Did you know that men and women are different? We're different. Did you know we're different by design? One area we're different in is that God has placed a thermostat in our lives. And he has wired my wife and me to like a different temperature in our home. You know what I'm talking about? Can any of you relate to that? And for some reason, especially in the wintertime, my, li- my wife likes it a lot warmer in the house than I do. And she's giving me permission, by the way, you know, just had her anniversary, so I don't want to get in trouble here. She's giving me permission to share this. But another place this manifests itself is at nighttime. I like to turn the thermostat way down to save on our energy bill. And uh, then's when it gets interesting. My wife likes flannel sheets. She likes an electric blanket. Okay. Now, for those of you who have an electric blanket and you're married, I ask you, which side does the control usually go on? Does the man have the control or does the woman have the remote control. Well, in our house, my wife has it because she's the one that gets cold. And so what we found was as I would turn the thermostat in the house down, she would start cranking that remote control up in our flannel sheets and I'm dying. I'm sweating. I'm kicking sheets off. And so we had a choice. We could either go see a marriage therapist and get counseling or we could get one of these babies. You know what this is? Dual controls. Hallelujahs, right. Dual controls. Now I have control. 
I can set the control for my half of the bed on my blanket. Susan can set her half. Now, this is a wonderful invention. And like I said, we could have gone to counseling or we could have just bought these remote controls. And now we each can set the thermostat according to our own needs. There's one problem with this. This has happened on more than one occasion. At the beginning of the year, when it starts getting cold, we put the electric blanket on the bed and we put the controls out and we have swapped the remote controls. Have any of you ever done this? So what happens? The remote controls now, Susan's cold. So she's turning her control up. I'm hot, so I'm turning mine down. In fact, I'm turning it off. So she's turning hers up on max. So I'm sweating. I'm dying. I'm kicking sheets and blankets off. She's freezing. And all of a sudden, we wake up the next morning, we realize we had our controls switched. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. Trust me. (laughs) This is not just a marriage talk. I'm going somewhere. We have controls in life that the world has given us in terms of priorities, and we have controls in terms of what God's priorities are. Now, what are the world's priorities? The world's priorities, what, says, what we say as we evaluate this year and what we look at in terms of what's really important are uh, pleasure, possessions, performance, power, prestige, all these things, play things. This is what's really important. In a college town, I could add education. These things aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves. But if that's where my focus is, if that's where my security lies, if that's my identity, I'm going to come up empty. Because, see, God has created me to know him and to make him known. That's his priority for my life. And it's so easy. We get so busy. I do it to to swap the controls. And when we do that, we get out of step. We get out of kill. And we can get off step with what God wants us to really focus on. And really the essence of this message this morning as we look at Psalm 27 is that King David is saying, hey, I fought some battles. I've been through some tough times. Let me tell you what is most important. Let me tell you about the remote control that God has given us for his priority in our lives. And that is Number one in 2011, I need to seek him with all my heart. And God is the rewarder of those who seek him. And he has created us to know him. And he rewards us when we seek him and pursue him. He wants to be number one in our lives. That's what he's saying. He wants us, if we're crossed up in our controls, to get things right as we begin this new year. In 2011. So that's the essence of where we're going this morning. In Psalm 27. Nothing wrong again inherently with any of these things. But if that's our focus. If that's our priority. We're not going to be pursuing the most important thing. And Tim I really appreciated the songs that you led uh, this morning in, in worship. Has allowed us to focus on the one thing. The most important thing. Psalm 27 is a royal psalm. Uh, In fact, some would say it's a lament because David is pouring his heart out to God and he's crying out to God. And and, uh, I kind of see it as a royal psalm because because David, as the king, is relating to God and he's really pointing forward to the person of Christ who, as he says in verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. 
Whom shall I dread? We see the Christ in the New Testament fulfilling many of these things that that David is describing in Jehovah God. The Lord, Jehovah, the covenantal name, the personal name of God with his people, Israel. David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. It's deeply personal. It's deeply relational. In the Psalm, in Psalm 27, the Lord is mentioned 29 times, either the Lord or a pronoun referring to the Lord. David is referring to himself in first person. It's like he's writing a diary. I, me, my, 46 times. So we have 29 times referring to the Lord, 46 times referring to David. And we see this interplay of a relationship that David describes between himself and his God. He knows God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We read in Psalm 23. A lot of parallels between Psalm 23 and Psalm 27. They're kind of in the same section of the Psalter. And we see a lot of similarities, a lot of overlap. And David is writing about his relationship. We're not sure what the context is. We don't know what's going on. We're going to see in a minute that David is, is, there there are battles, there's enemies, there's foes, there's adversaries. And quite possibly may have been the time when he was fleeing from King Saul. Saul was trying to kill him. He was jealous. Saul was still the king. David was going to become the next king. And he may have been when he was fleeing from Saul. Could have been later in life he was writing this referring to other battles and other situations. We really don't know. But what we do know is that David is reminding himself and reminding us of what his number one focus should be, his number one priority. And that's to know God and to make God known. So what's the one thing? What's the one priority? I want to jump down to verse 4. I want to look at verse 4 because uh, I'm not going to teach this sequentially, 1, 2, 3, 4, and following. I want to begin with the big idea, and then I want to develop why David sees this as our number one priority. Verse 4, we read, One thing I have asked from the Lord... That I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle, in the secret place of his tent. He will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. We read on in verses 4 and 5. So in Psalm 27, verse 4, David gets at the central focus. What's the main, the main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. What's the main thing? The main thing, David said, is the one thing I've asked from the Lord, and that's to, to seek Him. He, he wants to know Him. He wants to know Him deeper. He wants to, to, to gain a, a deeper relationship with his God. This one thing I have asked from the Lord of all the things that I have, all the things I could pursue, the one most important thing in my life is seeking the Lord. Because he, he says, I want to dwell in his house all the days of my life on a daily basis. Now, a couple of options here. What is David saying? Is he saying, I want to become a Levite? I want to become a priest? Because they are the ones that serve and lived in the temple. Is that what he's saying? No, I think he's describing being in the temple in a metaphorical sense of his relationship with God. Because it was in the temple that he had the Ark of the Covenant, that the presence of the Lord, where he stayed. And so the nation of Israel would come to the temple to worship God. Now, as New Testament believers, we know that at the cross, when Jesus died, that the veil that separated 
the ark, the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was ripped in two. And we now have access to a holy God through God's son, Jesus Christ. God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we now have access to a holy God through placing our trust, our faith in the person of Jesus Christ, the son of God, who said himself, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father, but through me. And so as we enter into a relationship with a holy God, God declares us righteous. He justifies us. He adopts us into his family. We're placed in the family of God. That's what the church is. We are redeemed, set free from being enslaved to sin. And we now have the right and the privilege to cry out to God and to say, as David said, the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. And if you're here this morning and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ, the sad news is this psalm does not apply to you. You cannot say the Lord is my shepherd or the Lord is my light. So this is your day of salvation to believe in Jesus Christ and to experience forgiveness of your sins and to enter into the privilege of knowing God and and relating to him in this way and trusting him so that he can be there for us in the way that he has designed as almighty God so that we will not fear. So David is saying, this is the one thing. This is most important in my life. I want to get to know you, God, in a deeper level. And so he's using the house of God and the temple and the tabernacle and his tent as an image of where God resides. And he's saying, God, I want to go there. God, I want to hang out with you. God, I want to get to know your character so that I, I need you, God. And later in the psalm, we're going to see David is desperate. He's crying out to God. He's hurting. He's struggling. He's despairing. And there may be some of you here this morning that are in that boat. You're hurting. You're needy. And we all are, aren't we? We sin. We fail. We fall. We hurt. We get sick. We have unmet expectations. We have struggles. And that's what God is saying through this passage. Come to me. Christ said, come to me, all you weak, weary, heavy laden. And I will give you rest. God wants us to seek him. God wants us to know him. Because the more we know him, the more we'll trust him. And the more we trust him, the more we'll have confidence in him and security. And the more we have security and confidence and trust, then we won't fear when struggles and heartache and pain come our way in life. This is David's number one passion. These are some eternal priorities that God has for us. The world was, had us a list. God's priorities are to seek after him, to know him, to fellowship with him. That's what David is saying in the psalm. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. He talks about worshiping God, to behold the beauty, or that could be translated the delightfulness of the Lord. He was wanting, desiring to worship the, the beauty. He's in awe of God and his creation, of, of his character and his works. And David's response, and we're going to respond at the end of uh, this message this morning, at the end of verse 6, he says, I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. And that's what happens. Paul describes this as being filled with the Spirit. 
And out of result of that, he said, songs and hymns will pour forth from our lives. Are you, are, are you finding yourself, children of God, singing hymns to the Lord and praising him and worshiping him? That's a natural outflow of knowing him and uh, getting close to him and understanding who he is and how he's, he has created us. This is the big idea. My number one priority in life is to know God and to make God known. That's it. Stephen Covey talks about in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. You've got to put the big rocks in the jar first. You know what I'm talking about? This isn't just the big rock. This is the boulder. This is it. This is what it's all about. Everything else has to fit around this number one priority of knowing God and out of that desiring sharing the gospel with others to make him known to others. That's the one thing, knowing God. Uh, I so appreciated that uh, song that uh, special that Tim just, and I didn't even know this was going to happen when I uh, picked out uh, this psalm and, and uh, looked at the big idea. But uh, as Tim just sang, uh, that I may gaze upon your beauty, a single-minded, wholehearted, one thing I ask, that I may gaze upon your beauty, O Lord, that I may see your holy face, that I may know you in an intimate way and follow after you all my days, follow after you all my days. That's what it's about. That's the number one priority. This is the big rock. This is the main thing, is knowing God. Why does this matter? So what? What's the big deal? Why does this matter? Well, the reason this matters is because we live in a fallen world. And someday we'll reach a place where there's no more pain, there's no more crying, no more tears. But until then, we, we live in a fallen world. And there's struggles and heartache and pain. And we need God. We need the Lord. We need to depend upon Him. And that's where we see David taking us in verse two and th- verses 2 and 3. Because he describes his situation. He describes what was going on in his life in regards to his situation, which was leading him to cry out to the Lord and desperately seek after Him. In verse 2 we read, When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh. Does that sound familiar? Evildoers. He talks about my adversaries, my enemies. They stumbled and fell. You may not be in a battle where you as a king are facing an invading army that that you're having to defend against as, as David was, but we fight battles, don't we? We live in a fallen world and we have struggles and we have issues. We have an adversary. We just finished First Peter. Satan is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan wants to take us down. He wants to take us out of the battle. He wants us to become ensnared in sin. He wants us to become confused about what our priorities are. Satan is an adversary and he is powerful. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And David is reminding us. That we have an adversary and we have battles and we have enemies. But we need to look to God who is greater than all. And he will give us strength and he will give us hope so that we will not fear. But David was, was struggling. He was relating to God about the evildoers. And in verse 3, and then he says, Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. Because he knows God. He knows his character. He knows 
that God will be there for him. David also, we read down in verses, uh, verse 11. He said, teach me thy uh, way, O Lord. Lead me in a level path because of my foes. We see that he um, is struggling. And we see that we have troubles. In verse 5, for the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. And that's part of living in a fallen world of having struggles, of having troubles. Consider it all joy, brethren, not if, but when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith will produce endurance. There's going to be some rough waters ahead in 2011. That's just reality. We're going to have some times that we struggle, we question, we um, wrestle with life and, and where, where to turn. And that's why I love this psalm, because it's orienting us according to what is due north. And that is looking to God and looking to Him as our source to know Him and to make Him known in 2011. But we have enemies, we have foes, we have adversaries, we live in a fallen world, we have troubles. And apart from the Lord, we live in fear and despair. Because if we're not depending upon him and we're not looking to him according to what is true, we'll be looking at what the world values and we'll be looking at our self-worth based on what the world is telling us. And it's a tough place out there. And we face that and we struggle and we hurt and we can fear. That's what David said. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? The word for fear is yara. It's a very powerful, emotional word. It's a word of despair. It's a word of revealing how strangling fear and anxiety can be on our lives. Whom shall I dread? Fakad. It means to be filled with dread, to be in awe, or even just to, to fall down because life is so difficult and we feel we can feel hopeless. So apart from the Lord we live we will live in fear and we will despair. That's what David is saying. I think he's been there. I think he's been to a place where he has deeply struggled in his soul. And that's why he's saying in many ways I want to go back. I want to go back to what I once had of this deep abiding intimate relationship with the Lord. I think David is speaking to us out of the realization of what it's like to pull back from God and his walk with God to grow cold and for him to feel the distance of his relationship with God. Are any of you feeling that this morning? Are any of you beginning the new year feeling like God is way far off? Again, he's saying, come to me. He's not the one that's moved. We're the one through our sin and our disobedience that's moved and pulled back from him. And so on this new year, as we begin, let's seek Him. Let's acknowledge and be open and real about our sin. As I think as Lance in his prayer said, God knows. We're not pulling the wool over His eyes. He knows. Let's be real and open and honest. Confess our sin to Him. Repent. Military term. Turn around. Return to Him. Let's pursue Him. Let's make knowing Him our number one priority in 2011. And let's make our lives and our schedules and and our daily living reflect Him as our number one priority. So apart from the Lord, we will live in fear and despair. 
What is the one thing? It's knowing God, making him known. Why does this matter? We live in a fallen world. It's tough out there. Satan is like a roaring lion. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. Can we trust him? That's where he takes us in one and two. Can we trust him? Trust is the foundation of all relationships. I mentioned I've been married for 23 years. I intentionally pursue my wife. I intentionally seek to get to know her more and more. When we got married, I thought I knew her. <laughs> I didn't have a clue. And I hate to break that to you for some of you newlyweds. But that's a joy of discovery as we seek to know our spouses by spending time with them, by learning what is going on in their minds, what they're thinking, what their fears is, what they're like. The more we know about God and his character, the more we will be able to trust him and have confidence in him, the less we will then resort to fear and anxiety that can grip us. Can we trust him? That's a fair question. Can we trust God? Saying, Brad, you're asking me to put my, make God my number one priority to seek him. Can I trust this God? Well, that's what David is saying to us in verses one and two. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I want you to notice here as I've, uh, Noted the interplay between the words for the Lord, uh, as I mentioned, that appears 29 times. David writing as a diary, my, uh, me, I, appears 46 times. David is saying that the Lord is not just any light. He is my light. I know this Lord. I know Yahweh. We have a relationship. And notice that God is not just the giver of light. His character is light. The Lord Jehovah is light. The Lord Jehovah is salvation. The Lord Jehovah is the defense of our life. This is true to his character. That's why we must seek him because the more we know him, the more we learn about what he is like, the more we're able to trust him, the more we're able to depend upon him, especially in times of need. The Lord is my light, first of all. This is, uh, in this context, he's talking about in a military setting of deliverance. It's the opposite of darkness, of fear, of depression. We see the person of Christ as we look in John's gospel. John described Jesus Christ. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. Jesus Christ, as David is pointing forward in this royal song to the person of Christ, is someone who is the light of the world, who can be trusted. We can depend upon him. We can depend upon God and his character. The Lord is also my salvation. When we see that word, salvation, we often think in terms of eternal life. And that's certainly true. When we place our faith in Christ, we receive eternal life. In this sense, in verse 27, he's talking about a military battle. And he's referring here again to, to deliverance and relief from the pain and the struggle that he is going through. The Lord is my salvation because he has, will deliver me. And as a result of that, he says, 
Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. And this word can be translated fortress or stronghold or safety or security. And in Psalm 46, 1, we read, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Because God is powerful and he is a refuge and we can go to him. He's a safe place. And Psalm 46, 1, that's what led Martin Luther to author, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark, never failing that we can trust him, we can have confidence in him. And so David is writing, first person, like a diary, about what his own experience is like, what it was like to be away from God and be distant and feel the coldness, but also what he has found in his life, looking back of the character of God, that God is a light and God is salvation and God is a stronghold of defense. He can be trusted We can place our faith in him. He is reliable. He will not let us down. So what's the one thing? Knowing God and making him known. Pursuing him. That's the the big rock. Knowing God. Seeking after him. Why does this matter? We live in a fallen world. We need him. We need salvation in terms of eternal life. We need him in terms of everyday life. Can we trust him? Yes. He is a God who is trustworthy. He is a God who is powerful. He created us to know Him. But we must spend time with Him and know His character so that we, the foundation of relationships, will trust Him when difficulties arise. So what does this look like? What does this look like on a practical level? What I'd like to do is to look at the rest of the psalm here in Psalm 7 through 14. Psalm uh, 27, verses 7 through 14. And I see three main things that David is doing. He's getting real with the Lord. He's teachable. He's also dependent upon the Lord. He's real with the Lord in verse 7. And he begins a series of petitions, a series of gut-level requests. And he is coming to him with confidence. It's almost like The author of Hebrews describes in Hebrews 4 that we can boldly and confidently approach his throne of grace. And men and women, boys and girls, those of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, this is the privilege we have in being his children, is being able to come him and boldly request of him and and let him know what's going on in our heart. And we see David pouring his heart out to God. And we see David requesting with imperatives here over and over and over. Listen to the imperative. Verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. I have that verse circled in my Bible. There are times, God, I just, I'm hurting. I'm struggling. I'm fearful. I'm anxious. And I cry out to God. God, hear, my, hear me. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Be gracious to me. An answer. God, I need an answer. I need to hear from you. I need to know what's true. Are you there? David's crying out to God. When you did say in verse 8, here's another imperative. Seek my face, my heart said to you. Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Verse 9, another imperative. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. See, David's been rejected. He knows what it's like to be turned away. He knows what it's like to be 
hunted down or someone's trying to kill him. But he says, you, God, you've been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me. Two more imperatives. Do not abandon. Do not forsake me. Oh, God of my salvation. Do you hear the plea? Do you hear the the passion in his voice? Verse 10, for my father, Jesse, his father and my mother have forsaken me. Did you know David's parents forsook him? In contrast, but the Lord will take me up because the Lord will never forsake us. He says in Hebrews 13, 5, Christ says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a level path. Again, you see the comparison to Psalm 23, where the good shepherd is to lead us and guide us. Because of my foes, verse 12, do not deliver me over to the desires of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen up against me, and such as breathe out violence. Verse 13, it's a desperate verse. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. Again, looking back at Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. How could David say that? Because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Because of his relationship with the good shepherd. Because he knew his character. Because he knew what he's like. He'd spent time with him. And during his time of greatest need, time of greatest struggle, his time of fear, he turned to the Lord and he found confidence and trust in Almighty God who was there for him. And never let him down. So in our walk with the Lord, we need to be real with him. We need to be teachable. And then last, in verse 14, we need to be dependent upon him. I don't like this verse. I struggle with this verse because I'm terrible at waiting. I want it now. But he says, now he switches to second person. And it's to the congregation. It's to us. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Are you struggling this morning? Are you hurting? Are you wondering what your priorities should be? Isaiah 40, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Because we're depending upon the Lord instead of our own resources. We're trusting in Him and the all-powerful, almighty God of the universe who is trustworthy and desires for us to seek him and trust him with our lives. So how do we apply this each day? What does this look like? How do we apply this? After the Missouri game, if you're a Texas A&M football fan, you'll recognize this. A&M had just lost three games and A&M was really struggling in the season. And Coach Sherman did something radical. He got all the players out in the middle of Kyle Field. And he took the playbooks and the game films and everything about the Missouri game, and he put it in a barrel. Do you know what he did to it? He set it on fire, and he burned it. And some of the players said, no one spoke 
could have heard a pin drop. All you could hear was the crackling of the fire. Defensive lineman Lucas Patterson was asked on whether the team still had faith after the Missouri game. He said, yeah, there was faith. We had a lot of problems in the Missouri game, but at our Monday practice, Coach Sherman put the game plan in a barrel and burned it. He said, this one is behind us. Don't think too hard about this one. We're flipping the switch right now. It's a brand new season. We took that to heart and it worked out for us. You know the rest of the story. They went on and won six games. They're going to play in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. What's my point in this? Yeah, it's great. Aggie football is great. My point in this, some of us need to burn last year's game plan. Some of us have been climbing a mountain, the wrong mountain. And some of us have our remote controls swapped with the world's. I have people that come into me with struggles. It might be a marriage. It might be a personal issue, whatever. Depression, addictions. One of the questions I'll ask them, well, how's it working for you? It's not going too well. Well, maybe something needs to change. That's what happened here. Some of us need to burn 2010. Paul said that, forgetting what lies behind Looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards that upward call of knowing Christ Jesus. So if you've had a rough year, maybe it needs to be put behind you. Or if you've been trying some things that don't work, you need a new game plan. Seek the Lord. Pursue Him. Get to know your Creator. You know the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. It's time for a new game plan. We need to focus on the Lord. We need to make 2011 the year that we pursued him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what Christ said about the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. He's our number one focus. Paul's life verse we find in Philippians 3.8. I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. We need to seek to know God by, and this is the means. How do we do it? Time in the Word, time in prayer. I want you to pull out your bulletins. I've got an insert for you. In your bulletins, you will find an insert that has a daily Bible reading. What I want to challenge us to do this year as we seek God is to make him our number one priority is to get to know him through his word and through time and prayer. Now, you may have a plan that works for you. That's great. If you've got something that you're doing in your quiet times and your time with the Lord, uh, that's wonderful. Have you ever read through the Bible in a year? I've done this a couple of times and it has proved to be incredibly valuable. It has provided for me a picture of the workings of God from Genesis to Revelation that has been profound. And so I've included this for you in your um, insert. And I want to challenge you with committing yourself in 2011 to a daily time with the Lord. Time in the Word and time in prayer. In this uh, particular plan, it's from Discipleship Journal. If you flip it open, you can look at January... You can see on January 1st, well, it's January 2nd, and so 
I got a couple of days to read here, but you'll also notice that there's only 25 days in each month. You know why? Because you're going to miss one from time to time. So you got five days to catch up. So you could start today on, on the first. You're going to read a little bit out of the Gospels in Matthew. You're going to read a little bit out of Acts and the General Epistles, Psalms and Wisdom Literature, and uh, the Old Testament Law, Genesis. Those four sections. That's what I like about this because it gives you a snapshot of four different aspects of the Bible. And you can read through this in a year. So I want to challenge you to consider reading through the Bible in 2011. Now you may be going, whoa, Brad, there's no way. Well, if that seems overwhelming to you, maybe read through the New Testament this year. That's okay. Or read through the Bible in two years. That's okay. Or read through the Psalms. Take a Psalm a day and read through them. That's okay. My point is, get a plan and get after it. Because if our goal, our number one priority is to know God and make Him known, we need to be intentional. We need to have a plan. When are you going to do it? Is it going to be in the morning? Is it going to be in the evening? Is it going to be at lunch? When are you going to do it? Take some time today and ask God to reveal to you a plan to know Him and commit to doing it. Commit. And who's going to hold you accountable? Who's going to hold you accountable to getting to know God by spending time in His Word and spending time in prayer. For you, if you've never done this before, maybe five or ten minutes is a great start. That's awesome. This Bible reading plan probably take you 30 minutes or so, depending on how fast you read. But it's a wonderful way to get to know the Lord and to get to know His Word uh, by intentionally seeking after Him. Through time in the Word, time in prayer. Um, daily devotional. A lot of times people ask me, what do you do for a daily devotional? My favorite is My Utmost for His Highest by um, Oswald Chambers. You can go online, utmost.org, and uh, you can find that online as well. But let's intentionally seek after the Lord in 2011. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for this opportunity we have to be reminded of what our priorities are and our focus. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning who's never placed their trust in Jesus Christ and they're not sure what's going to happen to them after they die, I pray that this would be the day of salvation for them and they would accept your free gift of salvation by placing their trust in Jesus Christ, believing that He is the Son of God and asking Him to forgive their sins and give them eternal life. Father, for those of us who've strayed this last year or this last month or maybe even yesterday, I pray that we'll come to you and confess our sin so we can begin the year with clean hands and pure heart. Lord, I pray that you give us discipline and diligence in our times with you so that we can seek after you. Show us what that looks like. Lord, we don't want this to be some, something that's legalistic. We simply want to know you. We want to passionately pursue you and worship you. So show us, Father, individually, show us what you're calling us to do, what you're saying us to do in 2011 so that we can get to know you, Father. We love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.